Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. This episode is sponsored by BWF. BWF is a full-service philanthropic consulting services firm. BWF serves large and medium-sized nonprofits in the areas of campaign management, high net worth fundraising, organizational consulting, data science, digital marketing, and technology. Clients include universities, health systems, arts and culture organizations, and NGOs throughout North America, Europe, Australia, and the Pacific Rim. As a truly comprehensive fundraising consulting firm, BWF has a team of consultants with expertise in every facet of philanthropy. For more information, please visit bwf.com. Hello, thank you for tuning in to our very first mini-series. Today you will be hearing part two. If you haven't already, please see part one, which aired on July 8th, a couple of weeks ago. Today's episode features four dynamic professionals in different parts of the country holding different positions of leadership. We will hear from the following four people in the following order. Willie Jude II, Vice Chancellor at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, Allison Baker, Senior Director of Development, Women and Children's Health at Johns Hopkins Medicine, Kelly Morris, Vice President of Individual Giving at Phoenix Children's Hospital Foundation, and Kareem Kefre, Executive Gift Officer at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Each person will speak for about 15 minutes. I asked them a similar line of questions, but in their answers, you will get a good sense of how different operations work and how perspectives are different depending on the role of the person. In today's episode, the questions will center around who these professionals are and what they've done to date to cope with the pandemic and remote work. Please connect with us and send in questions for our speakers as we will be hearing from them again. Now let's get started. Hi, Willie. How are you? Hi, Catherine. How are you doing this Friday, this happy Friday? I'm great. And our listeners can't see this, but you are wearing a bow tie and you have a fun background and I'm just loving the spirit. Well, I I believe in just playing the part. And so (laughs) I'm just honored to be a have the opportunity to uh, participate in this this series, this very important series. And so I felt like, you know, in order to have, be ready for the game, this is this is our game, right? Development, higher education, this is our space. So I just wanted to make sure that I have the appropriate attire uh, to- I love it. I absolutely love it. So let's start with talking about your team. Let's, let's dive in. You are the vice chancellor at University of Wisconsin Parkside. And you started recently and came into a team. Tell us how big it is and where your offices are on campus. Uh, We have an amazing location. We're right in between uh, Racine, Wisconsin and Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is 30, 40 minutes from Milwaukee and about 60 minutes from Chicago. And, And so we have a pretty amazing location. So I started this opportunity on May 1st of business of this year. And so it's all it's interesting looking for a job and interviewing during COVID, uh, as well as, you know, okay, when, when you've gone through the process and the offer happens, it's really surreal, but then you have to get into the mindset, okay, as a development person coming into not only a new organization, but a new organization during COVID. 
And so my, so that my had mind to have been was, hard. Oh, it's go, going in, 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 a, in a lot of directions. And, and one thing that I found was really beneficial is was I was able to start in a part-time capacity in uh, March. And so during that time, I was able to sit in on Zoom calls and try to learn a little bit about the culture, uh, but more importantly, making sure that I had time to spend with the team. And so I was able to literally meet with each member of my advancement team for about 30 plus minutes to just have some introductory meetings uh, to see who they are, you know, post interview and see what their strengths are, what their desires are and just how they're doing. I really believe as a leader, you need to know who you serve and see what's happening. And one thing that the last 15 months or so was really put in perspective is just how much time uh, we waste and how much time we waste not being grateful and not being appreciative. And so I really wanted to make sure I take time to get to know the individuals on the team. And so the advancement team at UW Parkside is right now a team of eight, team of eight. So it's a small team. Uh, our institution, uh, we serve about 45, 4,500 students. We're part of the UW system, which has 13 institutions in the state of Wisconsin and serves about 165,000 students. And so we have a large system and we are just in a, a great location. And we are also the most diverse campus from a student population, uh, as well as a faculty and staff population in the system. But so getting back to the team, the team that we inher I inherited uh, about eight individuals. And so we have our major gifts team, we have our donor engagement stewardship and engagement team, we have uh, you know, annual giving, we have our corporations, foundation relations. We also uh, have communications that reports through us as well. And, and one of my favorite lines is, you know, whatever chancellor wants to get done, you know, that, that stays in it. So we have community relations, we have government relations. So it's, it's quite a bit happening with a small team. Uh, and so we're also in the process of growth. So not only inheriting a team, we've actually recently added two positions that will put us to 10 and then we'll be hiring for two additional positions as well. So there's a lot happening. So I'm stepping into a new role, there's COVID happening and we're also building a team in the midst of all of this. I know that was a lot, but there's just been a lot happening uh, since I've onboarded in, that beginning of, in the beginning of May. And so the first 100 days, uh, you know, first 50 days, really spending a lot of time getting to know everyone but at the same time, moving forward with our agenda to serve our students through scholarship support. Yes, I actually, I remember thinking how amazing is it that we have the chance to talk with you when you're so fresh in this position where you know the players, but you don't necessarily have a ton of time to talk about, which makes this conversation even more dynamic. So were you tasked with putting together a plan for returning to the office or are you following the plan of the chancellor? And, and so, so on our campus, we've had a task force that has been meeting like probably every single campus regularly. And so, you know, I can applaud the efforts that have happened here because, you know, I'm joining in and coming in on the back end of the meetings mm -hmm. uh, and just, just the thoughtfulness that's going into making sure that everyone's, you know, voice has been heard best as possible. And so recently they've given us the opportunities within the parameters of the, our COVID task force on campus at UW Parkside 
that now it's time for the individual managers and supervisors to be able to work with your team to see what's the best way to implement it, right? Uh, I really feel that um, you, I mentioned this earlier, you really need to know your team and understand what's happening in the dynamics. So it and sounds like you've been doing a lot of listening. Yeah, it's been a lot of listening, but the great part is as we learn, we learn and show empathy as we grow, as we grow forward, right? So everyone is fully back come September. Come September, everyone's coming back. So with our team, I just believe in over-communicating. And so we've been able to communicate with our team as far as dates and times and coordinate who will be in the office and where, but based off of the options that they have, they were able to recommend it, what would be best for them in their situation as we work to get back fully uh, into the office. But we also have a challenge that we're having construction happening on our campus. <laughs> and so, which means that in, in a number of the spaces that my team resides, we reside in uh, the main hall, one of the main halls in the center of campus. And so our offices are located, but there's a lot of construction happening. So we also believe in, you know, making sure that you have a, a safe and healthy and productive work environment. And so if there's a lot of banging and noises and drilling happening, it's, you probably would want to be in a different space. Mm -hmm. And so with that, we've been able to work with our team and just create, you know, just creating the schedule. So we just all know where we are, but we're continuing to utilize, you know, our Zoom. I had a team, I mean, Zoom, Teams, all the different virtual platforms, WebEx that have been available uh, to us. And so it's, it's really worked out. Because have you received pushback from team members about returning fully in the fall? Haven't had anything just yet. That's why I want to make sure that we're communicating on the front end. And, you know, we, and we're fortunate with our small team and even with our location. Uh, there's a lot of individual offices. Uh, so there aren't necessarily shared spaces. And, and, and we've been following, you know, even with our rules, right? Now, we recently have passed um, the rule that if you are in, you can, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask, which is similar to a lot what's happening, except for if you're in the classroom, right? Okay. And if you're not vaccinated, you have to wear a mask at all times. But if we're bringing community members, because we haven't necessarily started having a lots of events or anything on campus of that nature, but if you are a community member and we're having a meeting, then we will both have on masks just to make sure. And it, so it sounds like you and your team are quite open to returning to the office and that there's relative sort of agreement there, which is great. What I'm curious about is what aspects of working from home do you want to keep for your team, if any? Well, I mean, this, this, this is a, a great question because personally, uh, I like to get up and go somewhere. Right. I, 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 at my home, there's never a dull day. I have, I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, uh, and a four-month-old, and, and my wife is working full-time as well. And so oh my God. It definitely brought us a lot closer and really, <laughs> and really being a team since it's basketball yeah. season. I use a sports reference. We went from being a person-to-person a, 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 a -person, uh, team to we play zone now. <laughs> we're, we're, we're having to play zone and just and just support each other. Uh, and, and so I think that 
working from home. First, I love the commute. I, I seemed like I was on time for all of my meetings with the commute. But with, <laughs> with, honestly, with the aspects, it's about being in a space that you can feel creative uh, and that you can be productive. And for me, that would be in an office or different location because in our positions, we're usually on the move. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so that hasn't necessarily, uh, we haven't been as active in that space just yet, but we are, we are starting. However, you know, our cloud is great. You know, we use Microsoft Office, so we have SharePoint. We can share documents in real time. I think it's, it's actually brought us closer as a team as well. But then also, I think about it from a standpoint of when you're building a new team, like we are onboarding two new team members in August. And then there'll be another two that'll be onboarded probably, you know, early in the fall as well building that sense of community. You know, there's some things that can happen when you're idea sharing and you're throwing stuff against the, against the uh, whiteboard to see what happens. And, you know, so I can see both sides as far as making sure we try to understand who we are, maybe some seasoned teams who've worked together long enough. They already know the idiosyncrasies of every one of their teammates, right? And, and, and how they best work. And we're still learning that as well. Uh, so, but I, I definitely think there's advantages and there's opportunities and that if we have the resource, we can, we can use it. Do you have any yeah. yeah, so it sounds to me like you're pro in the office, but you're also open to using tools for flexibility moving forward. Is that a fair assessment of where you stand? Yes, that's a fair assessment as long as we are safe. <laughs> yeah, if, if, we, if we are safe and, and we're following proper appropriate guidelines from CDC and our local and state health officials that we can do it, yes, uh, but I am open to flexibility for sure. So over the past year and a half, has your perspective changed with the things you've seen and the circumstances that have come up or would you say you felt that way back in March of 2020? I think my perspective has changed as far as I was um, early in my career, uh, I was, blessed to learn from a lot of supervisors and you know there was a lot of training of thought in some spaces that you know a lot of it is just being there right a lot of it is being there and I can tell you as I've hired quite a few individuals over my time some of the new graduates really changed my perspective because they were able to work fast and still have a good product right so just because they weren't necessarily in front of me didn't mean that they weren't working and so I think working with new graduates literally changed my whole perspective on how work can get done, right? And so I think that um, where we are now is actually help solidify that work can get done if you hire the right people and you have a plan and we're having regular follow-ups that, hey, get out their way. I believe in hiring the best and get out the way, right? Provide the vision, make sure we're moving in the same direction, but talented people, you want them to feel, you know, feel like they have, have been empowered to do the job that you've asked them to do, and perhaps more. Hi, Allison. How are you? Hi, Hi Catherine. I'm great. How are you? Good. Tell us about your team at Hopkins and what you're fundraising for. Lay us the groundwork here. 
Okay, great. So we are actually women's and children's health at the Fund for Johns Hopkins Medicine. So that is a combination of the Children's Center development team and then gynecology and obstetrics. And this is a brand new collaboration within the last six months. Um, I was heading up the, the fundraising efforts and the team for the Children's Center, so pediatrics. And now we've added gynecology and obstetrics uh, to that. It just made sense. And it's actually six months in, it seems to be going pretty well. So it is 14 of us total for those areas combined. And there are some people who do one or the other, but most of us really do a little bit of everything uh, mm -hmm. in, that, in that framework. Um, so there are 14 of us. Our offices are down in the Inner Harbor in Baltimore, um, about a mile west of the hospital itself. I can say that we're on the 17th floor and I look out my window and look right at the Children's Center, which is- Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's a nice reminder of why you're doing what you do when you're not exactly on site. But the interesting thing is that as much as our offices, physical space is, is there, most of us are in the hospital at least once or twice a week. I find myself there far more than that, actually. We have swing space over in the Bloomberg building for the Children's Center. And in addition to that, we just sort of park ourselves where we need to be when we're meeting with faculty and patients and other folks too. So you really are one foot in, one foot out with your work style. That's exactly right. And sometimes you might meet even with other colleagues. So the way Johns Hopkins, as you know, is, is enormous. And the way that we work, we have development folks who are actually on site at the hospital too. A lot of us are not. Um, it depends on your space and, and things like that. But I will meet with someone maybe from urology or um, you know, from neurology somewhere over in the hospital oftentimes on a collaboration with a donor or an idea or bring faculty together. We're there a lot. How much staff consultation did you do to develop your plan? I know that you said Hopkins is huge. There's the overall umbrella. There's probably the medical arm, mm -hmm. but if you could just speak to the layers of decision-making, that would be helpful. Sure. So first I'll tell you that from above. So Fritz Schrader has been a guest on your show, um, other folks as well. There's been a lot of conversation from above, which has been fantastic. I think that one of the huge benefits of the pandemic has been far more interaction with leadership for folks, whether it's the managers interacting with leadership or the entire staff who maybe before would have had an all staff meeting every six months and now have a webinar from Fritz every two weeks. Um, wow. So yeah. Yeah. That accessibility is new. And the exposure, right, and just hearing directly from leadership rather than my interpretation of, of what leadership has to say, I think has been really pretty incredible. And I think it could be career changing for people to have heard things directly and see how leaders react in times of crisis. And I think it also has taught us a lot of grace that we all say what we know as we know it and that we ask that they don't hold us to it because it changes constantly. That's another thing we've learned, right? That nothing is for sure. I, I know this right now, but I reserve the right to change it at any moment, perhaps even <laughs> yeah. while I'm talking. <laughs> right. So yeah, so I think that from above, there's been a ton of conversation. In terms of my team uh, directly, there's been a lot of communication. So of course, there's been the formal surveys and you know questions about what makes sense and logistics and where are people going to sit when they get back to the office and things like that. I'd say far more though has been just conversations about how people are feeling. Yeah, that's new, right? That wasn't a, a frequent conversation prior. And it probably should have been actually yeah. in retrospect. And it's, we've learned a lot about that, but you know, you're looking at your screen and you have all these little boxes of Brady Bunch and you see someone make a face 
right? And it's different because when you're in a meeting in person, it's a whole table. So you have to turn your head constantly to see people's faces. But in the virtual world, you look in one direction and you see everybody, which is, is pretty fascinating. I really can sort of gauge, you know, the room. But I think having a conversation and giving our team the opportunity to say, wait, that doesn't make sense to me, or hold on, that's confusing, or, oh, that's exciting. I mean, some of it's that, right? So, and it's, I think it's really nice for other team members to hear the questions of their, of their peers, or to hear the excitement. That's the best for me as a manager, when someone says something that gets other people excited, that's awesome. So I think we've had a lot of conversation about it, and we're going to continue to, and that's not going to end anytime soon. Good. So what is the plan cut and dry? Like, how does it look? Okay. So Johns Hopkins has decided that on August 15th, we will return to the office. There are three designations. One is full-time in the office. That's obvious. One is remote, which sounds obvious, but is not. It means at least three days out of the office. Okay. And then the third is hybrid, which means at least three days in the office. A little nuance there, just one day difference. But most, uh, by and large, development has been designated as hybrid, the, the latter. So at least three days in the office each week. Looking to that change, what features of working from home do you want to sustain as you think about going back? It's interesting because there's so many parts of it, right? It would be so easy to say, oh, sure, you know, wear your leggings and your and put your hair on top of your head and, and don't get dressed up. That would be a wonderful <laughs> feature to sustain. Not realistic at all. But I think there are three things I really focus on here, and they are respect, trust, and creativity. Oh, right? I was that expecting you to say that. They need to be maintained. They do, because they're all things that we all sort of have had. The respect for work-life balance, right? We've learned a lot about that over the past year and a half. Everyone, it's been heightened for all of us. We're starting to realize that things we never thought were part of work-life balance for us personally have become part of our work-life balance. And I think that people do better work when they feel like their organization for whom they work, their manager, respects their life and them as humans, right? Not just as your employee, but you are here because of everything you bring to the table, not just the work you do, the person you are. And that involves that work-life balance. Trust. I think that trust has been so key through all of this. Trust of managers that their staff and teams are working really hard at home. That's hard. That was really hard. I will admit it freely at the beginning. It was hard for you to, to have that trust initially. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't that I didn't trust anyone. I mean, honestly, when I sit here and think about it, it wasn't, I don't trust, you know, team member X at all. It was more that how on earth are they going to do that job from home? And, you know, what do I need to do to help? But trusting that people are going to figure it out and do a great job, which is something I think that really has grown beautifully. And I also think going the other way, trust of the team that I, or even more importantly, our leadership at the institution is looking out for them in the right ways and will have their back and will invest in their success. The last thing is creativity. Clearly we have all had to be creative. You have your people on your team who you know are your creative folks, right? Like who you're like stuck on a question and you think, oh, let's ask that person for sure. Um, Because that person's really creative. What I've been so excited about is all the people who I wouldn't have necessarily put in that category who have been so incredibly creative and when, when faced with the opportunity to do so have been amazing. And I want, it's going to be hard for everybody, but I'd like to keep that up. So let's get a little bit more personal. Talk about Allison's preferences. What are your personal perspectives on the advantages of working from the office virtually? 
and or in a hybrid? Pre-pandemic, I would have told you, oh my gosh, we have to be in the office all the time. 100%. I hated working from home. I'd be distracted. I, you know, everything was in the way. And so I sort of projected that on other people too, in a lot of ways. Like I didn't think we could do as good of work at home. Um, now I don't think that anymore. And I think that there are advantages of working from home. It's tricky, right? It's really tricky. And one thing that, you know, I have noticed is that we all know how to work from the office. We've done it for years and years and years. We now are pretty good at working from home, right? It, it's, we know how to do it. It's been 18 months. We've been successful. It's been great. I think hybrid's really tricky. I think that that is the hardest part. Um, just a little aside, this, this gets pretty personal, but my 17-year-old son, Luke, was obviously in school for up until his sophomore year, like everyone else, uh, in school full-time. Got sent home last March, did completely remote work from March until May when they got out. And then in October of this year, they went back hybrid. And he was in school day, in school two days a week and home three days a week. It was really hard. It was really, really hard. And it wasn't what we expected because we were thinking you take the in-school, he did great. You take the out-of-school, he did great. You add them together, fantastic. It's, it's easy breezy. No, not at all. It changes everything. However, it gave us an opportunity to really look at what was working and what wasn't working and take the time to say, okay, but this is the great part about being in school. So when you're there, this is what you need to do. And this is the really great part of being home from school. So when you're here, this is what you need to do. And it was not perfect, but it allowed us to take the best of both worlds and combine them um, after lots of conversation and open you know, dialogue to get him where he needed to be. So he is 17, we are all adults. This is not an exact comparison at all. But I, what, I, what struck me was how I really thought it wasn't different to go to hybrid from being home and at work when we had mastered both of those things, but it's really different. And so that I think is, I do think that there's a huge advantage to it. It allows for the creativity and the flexibility and the work-life balance. And I think hybrid is probably the right way to go, but I don't think it's without its challenges. And what was it? Is it the switching of the gears? Is that the biggest challenge? Um, yes, it was, oh my gosh, there's a pop quiz in school and it's open book, but my book is sitting on my bed in my bedroom and things like that, or I'm at home. You have to be and that much more organized. So much more organized. Like. That's exactly right, Catherine. Okay. You have to be so organized. And I think that you're going to have to be more deliberate in what you do each day, right? The things that work in the office, we need to do in the office and the things we don't need to do in the office or are actually better with silence in your house with no one walking around and sticking their head in your office. Those are the things we should concentrate on at home. And that will not be perfect either because projects come and things pop up and advancement is not a, a, not a slow moving job. We have to be adaptable and ready. But I do think it does give us that benefit. Hybrid to me seems like the way to go. Um, I really think that we miss the camaraderie of being in the office. Everyone does. Even the people who are nervous about going back to the office miss that camaraderie and that culture. Uh, so I, I, I think this is it. I think, you know, recognizing the important things we've learned in the last year, giving us that time to be at home and do some work from home, but then reinstating that togetherness culture creates that, that results in hybrid, right? And so we're going to have to figure it out. And I think it's the best, the best option here. It's so interesting to hear that your perspective has changed. And I think that does just speak to how much 
we've all been through collectively. You had mentioned to me that you are the only person on your team of 14 that has an office with a door to close. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, it's it's so interesting because I didn't realize it for a long time, right? You're on these Zoom calls. You'd think I would have been a little bit more, uh, you know, noticing these things, but I have, my oldest son is out of the house. And so I have his room turned into an office and I close the door and I sit in here and my kids are teenagers. They do not come, they don't want to see me anyway, but if they do, they knock on the door and we figure it out. But most people are working at their kitchen counter on a couch in their bedroom. You know, if a year ago, two years ago, you had done a Skype interview because somebody was, you know, in California and you were interviewing for them for a job here on the East coast. And they had been sitting in their bedroom with the bed behind them. You would have been mortified and died and thought I will never hire this person. But now so freaked out. So oh my gosh, out. Ew, right? Yes. But now <laughs> that's it's what are you going to do? That's your quiet place because your kids are running around your house or whatever it might be. Our perspective has changed so much. But it's something I've really thought about. You know, I have my computer here. I'm on a desk. I have two monitors on it, a monitor on each side of my computer. I have my printer. And I went in and put my chair in my truck. Everything I have sitting here. And other folks are working from a laptop just a laptop. They're younger than I am. Their eyes are better than mine, but still that's hard. My eyes are going bad. (laughs) I know. My gosh. But I think that, you know, you have to realize the different resources we each have in our, in our home and, and space. And I think space is a huge part of all of this. And when I think about space, it's literal, obviously, like we're talking about right now, I have this space in my office, in my house to be completely productive. One would hope. Right. But it's also the metaphorical space, right? So as we return to the office and think about space, this is what we're talking about all the time. Where will this person sit? Oh no, will we have to do some sort of hoteling? And will we have to do some sort of you know schedule for people to have offices and cleaning? And so that is really important. Your space at home is really, really important. Both of these physical, actual, literal spaces for us. But metaphorically, this is the big thing, giving people space to react in real time and on delayed time to what is happening here. And I think that that is what I keep coming back to when I hear, oh, we're gonna be talking about space at this meeting. I'm like, hmm, what kind of space are we talking about? Yeah. It's sort of the, the overarching of all of this because both are so important. Where will you be? How will you be working? But also, do you have the space to be creative? Do you have the space to innovate? Do you have the space to do your best work and to more importantly, feel good about that? So this is something I'm thinking about constantly. And I think with my team, looking at their personal spaces on Zooms and hearing about their limitations, I can't really help that, right? I cannot give them a home office. I can't put extra walls in their house and doors and things like that. But what I can do is give them room to figure it out and find what's best for them within the constraints that each one of us has in our personal situations. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to The Debrief. Hi, Catherine. It's nice to be here. Thank you for asking me to join. I'm delighted and honored. Wonderful. Well, let's just get started right away with background. Why don't you tell us about your team and how big it is and where you are with your offices in relation to the hospital? Okay, absolutely. So I am the Vice President of Individual Giving here at Phoenix Children's Hospital Foundation. Uh, In this role, I oversee a team of 15, and that includes our major and principal gifts, planned giving, our grants team, 
uh, our direct and annual response team, and anything else that um, I'm asked to do as well. And it's really a privilege to work here and to serve our mission. Uh, our offices are located in Phoenix on Camelback Road, so we are not um, at the hospital campus, but we are um, back and forth all day long, which is really nice. So it sounds like you manage most of the frontline operation for the hospital. I do. And I report to our chief development officer and senior vice president, Steve Schnall. How did you decide your plan? And actually, what is your plan? Are you back in? How is your team handling this? You know, we've had a lot of discussions about this as a leadership team, just because of the synergistic nature of our culture and who we are. Um, I will say that our office was never closed. Um, and I get that question a lot. And I would say that, um, you know, we did have two people here that were um, manning the front office, answering the phones. And then also we had critical members of our development operations team who just felt it was absolutely important for them to be here to do their work. You and I talked a lot uh, some weeks ago when you asked me about, you know, what is your plan? What does that look like? And I would say to you that we had a couple of um, starts. So, you know, the leadership team, which is comprised of myself, uh, Steve Schnall, who's, you know, my boss, and uh, also Kelly Lane, who is our vice president of development operations, and Tim Harrison, who oversees our corporate and special events team. And, um, we actually started putting together a plan in June to return to the office. We started having over those ago. over a year ago. Wow. So we started talking about that. And of course, we had a false start. I think everybody knows that Arizona surged and, you know, we all know what happens after that. Um, and then we started talking again about August. And that was, you know, late August, we started revisiting our plan. So are you going back in right now? You know, after the summer, there were a lot of people that were starting to want to come back in. You know, I was here all through the fall and so were many other people. And those days started increasing, particularly toward the end of the year. And the more people started coming in, the more they realized that they really missed seeing our team and each other and appreciated the opportunity to really have a dialogue in person. You know, we are not a behind the keyboard culture. We also started talking about a return to office in March 15th around that time frame, understanding that with the vaccine available, you know, we were so fortunate to be able to be considered essential in that 1A group that we calculated that probably most of the people who were going to get vaccinated would be vaccinated by that time. And it would be safe to start coming back into the office as a requirement starting in March. So, Leaders started coming in, um, and when I say leaders, I mean Steve, Kelly, myself, Tim, you know, we've all been here five days a week, but we started asking uh, directors and managers to start coming in uh, two to three days a week, and our gift officer team and other team members two days a week. Uh, starting July 1st, we moved that requirement to an additional day. So it sounds like for the last week and a half, you've had almost everyone in most of the time. Correct. Correct. Yes. So managers, you know, it's going great. People love being back here. 
you know, it's just really nice to see everybody and to, I've had so many people, you know, stop by, you know, my office and say, gosh, it's just great to be back and to have a sense of normalcy, a sense of excitement. You know, we, of course, are all masking when we're out in common areas. Um, the office is cleaned daily. We have infection protocols in place. We have outside areas where people can go and have lunch and congregate much like you would in a restaurant, not large groups, of course, but we're following, we're doing all the things. Well, and you have amazing leadership to follow with the fact that you're working at a hospital. You're probably hearing from the best and the brightest on how to do it. A hundred percent. And I will say that we are back doing donor tours in the hospital. We've been doing that since March. And we do two a day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And people are just really, at least here in Arizona, just excited to be back to normal. And it makes sense that as people are coming in, seeing how great it is to be back, seeing colleagues, seeing that they're not getting sick, that they're leaning into it and enjoying it more. Did you get pushback, though, before that, when you announced your plans for return? Were people unsure or uncomfortable with that? I wouldn't say pushback. I would say, I think, concern, wanting to be reassured that uh, they were safe and we were able to do that, I feel, pretty effectively. So for people who are listening who are dreading that, you know, their employees expressing concerns and holding firm on the plans, what advice would you give for responding to those concerns or what's worked for you? You know, when employees had concerns or didn't want to come back or had a health issue, uh, we did refer them to occupational health and their doctor, a doctor's note was required if you wanted to continue to stay out. And that was reviewed by our occupational health team and a determination was made. And we do have people, obviously, that have legitimate medical reasons why they can't can't return to the office. And we honor that. So let's move to your personal experience. What did, what did you prefer? How did you do personally working virtually and coming back and what worked best for you? You know, I think probably by the end of last summer, I was ready to get out of the house. You know, I mean, I love my team. I love our leadership team. So it's been really great for me to be back. I started coming back you know, four days a week in the fall. And by the end of the, by the end of the year, I was at a full five days and have been since then. You know, I will say that it's been nice to be back with donors again. Mm -hmm. Um, Our donors have been wanting to meet. I think I told you uh, in June, I had 15 donor meetings. Yes. Tell us more about that. That was remarkable. What we're hearing here from our donors is they have Zoom fatigue. I've had a number of donors say to me, don't email me. I do everything by text. And Um, you closed gifts via text, right? Absolutely. What we have found is that donors want informal. They want real. They want short and sweet. And I did something during the pandemic that I had never done in my entire life. And I solicited, you know, a major gift over text. And we never had a conversation and on the phone or on Zoom. And this donor was somebody that I had a, a relationship with the couple. I knew them both very well. 
They're very engaged with us. And he was an executive at an international company, a chief revenue officer. I could not get him on the phone. I could not, neither one of them would answer emails, which was just so unheard of. And I finally just texted him and said, are you alive? Like, what's going on? Are you, are you guys okay? Um, and he texted back and said, yes, I mean, all day long, all I do is Zoom, you know, it's just been a little overwhelming, what's going on? Um, so we just talked about some of the hospital's immediate needs, and he said, you know, how can we help? And so we had a dialogue um, over text entirely, and he got back to me and said, here's what we've decided, check is in the mail, let us know when you get it. Do you think that you could do something like that if you hadn't met the person in person? Or do you think that was a big piece of this? I think that was a big piece of it. I mean, we're in a relationship business, but I will tell you that what I have seen by and large, you know, both in discovery work personally with my own portfolio and that of with the team, we are getting more response through text communications than we are through email. Do you ask your donors how they want you to be in touch? I do, yes. And I know that my team members do as well. And a lot of them that we know, the ones that we know and that are close to us, tell us how they want to be communicated with. Well, it's such a simple thing, but asking people how they want to be communicated with in today's world, I think is in a lot of ways, it's a sign of respect too. Just recognize how inundated people are. Yes, I agree with you. And I know you had done sort of a mini campaign or something that was very time sensitive that was also very successful that I would love for you to tell us about. Yes. So one week after going into lockdown, um, we had a great opportunity to leverage donor philanthropy um, through the CARES Act. And that was in large part due to our CEO, our government relations team, our legal team, and a number of other groups at the hospital. And that opportunity basically allowed us to get matching dollars four to one for any philanthropic gifts that were raised. Wow. But, the, but there was a caveat. We had to do it in three weeks. Oh my gosh. So, you know, we were so fortunate um, that we were able to raise just over $6.5 million, which resulted in over $25 million in recovery efforts for our hospital. And I would really say, and I think I said this to you before, it was the hardest, but yet the most rewarding experience of my career. Live time, because this was a weekend. So it was crisis mode at that point. It was crisis mode. And so we really thought, okay, we set our mind to this. We have to do this. This is critical. We owe this to our community and our kids because, you know, there's a myth out there that COVID didn't affect children. And I can tell you that there were a lot of very sick kids in our hospital with COVID. So what did we do? Well, we went to our most loyal donors and we go to them a lot. But I have to say that they dug deep and we asked them to dig deep and they did it. Um, and the stories that we heard were just amazing. Were you asking people to pay things off earlier or were you asking for additional gifts? How did you, what was the language you used? These were new gifts. Okay. All new gifts, 25,000 and above. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to them and said, we have an unprecedented opportunity. It's a four to one match. We really need you. You're one of the few people that we can go to during this time. And if you're in a position to do it, would you please consider it? And some of this was via text. Text, emails for some people that, I mean, it was phone calls. It was everything. Really amazing effort. And so much of that was about the timing and that this additional funding you were going to be getting and you were able to be agile. I ask that to say, are there things you learned that you think you might use again or that make you look at your strategies differently going into the future? I would say that I would not hesitate ever again to pick up the phone during an unprecedented situation and ask somebody for a major gift. Okay. That's so interesting. Cause I think what so many people were struggling with was exactly what you started with. How can we ask people for money who are going through a hard time or the unknowns? And what it sounds like what you learned is it is okay to do that. They can say no. They want to be asked. I mean, a number of our donors said, absolutely, we want to help. We're so fortunate. We're in a position to be able to. We also went to people who were in existing pledges Mm -hmm. and said, you know, we know that you're in a substantial pledge to us. This opportunity has come up. It would be outside of your normal pledge. And we know that, you know, we just came to the well, but we're coming to you again because you're one of our most generous and loyal donors to us. And we wanted to just put this opportunity in front of you. And a lot of people were very grateful and very moved by the fact that it was four to one while they were trying to decide where to put their money and where it would have the most impact. So, you know, I think that the biggest takeaway, and we should all remember this as gift officers, you know, not just um, in a pandemic, but don't decide for the donor, give them an opportunity to tell you what they want to do. You know, I think all of us as fundraisers, I don't think anybody's ever been yelled at because they ask for a gift or ask for too big of a gift. I've never had a donor yell at me for that. But, you know, I think that's the key takeaway is that give people the opportunity to help. Don't make assumptions for them. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you said that. Kareem, thank you for joining us from Texas. <laughs> thank you, Catherine. It's great to be here in the uh, nice sweltering heat of Houston, Texas. Where are you right now? I am sitting in my home office. Uh, maybe we can go into that a bit later as to exactly <laughs> what my home office is. Yes, I definitely want to hear more about that. But let's just dive right in. Thank you so much for joining us in this exploration of returning to a sense of place and thinking about the office and home. So what I want to lay the groundwork now is for our listeners to have a sense of where you are and what the status quo is. So let's start with the question about the plan. What is MD Anderson's plan for return to the office for you specifically? Uh, Catherine, it's a great question. And, you know, truthfully, it's one that I think everybody uh, is actively navigating and has been for a while. So in short, you know, you know, I likely won't be going back to the office, elites, not in the traditional sense. 
Um, and that's because MD Anderson is really reshaping the future of work right now. So a bit of context, um, MD Anderson has 22,000 employees, the overwhelming majority of whom work and reside in the greater Houston area and in and across the greater Houston area. Uh, we're a state organization with really a re remarkable track record for making cancer history through our cancer research, care, education, and prevention. Uh, we also have a strong record really for retaining staff for many years, um, and we've been in existence for over 80 years. So we have significant amount of experience and knowledge, yet at times, traditionally, some might feel that we've been a bit slow to change, at least in our administrative and operations side of the house. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, when the pandemic hit, it was remarkable to see the transformation really almost overnight with the significant agility and innovation being executed across the organization and at all levels within the organization. And so with respect to work location and, and what it looks like in the near future, the pivot started at the beginning of the pandemic uh, when the organization, you know, kind of shockingly after 80 years made an early decision to remote work. And now remote work is a permanent component of MD Anderson's workforce strategy, really with a goal of at least 30% of the workforce working remotely full-time. And then additionally, hybrid work is a permanent component of MD Anderson's workforce strategy so this significant cultural change and new workforce strategy really is creating an opportunity for the institution to completely re-envision at the organizational level as well as department level where and how work is done. Uh, so there isn't an exact date per se as to when this new workforce strategy uh, goes live, so to speak, but mm -hmm. it's ultimately a part of our multi-long-year plan. So prior to the pandemic, where was your office or what did, what did that look like? Sure, yeah, so prior to the pandemic, I and, and really the, the rest of us um, were in the traditional office, right? So you get in the car. Were you in a hospital? We were, the hospital is, uh, so in, in, in Texas, in Houston, we have what's called the Texas Medical Center. It's actually uh, one of the most consolidated, if not the largest kind of centers in, in the world in terms of the proximity of different medical institutions, all really kind of, within walking distance effectively. And so um, we were connected within the medical center, not actually to the hospital, but you know, a one minute walk, a five minute walk from uh, various parts of the hospital. So my colleagues and I were you know, in traditional offices. Uh, most of us had our own office. You know, MD Anderson, we're MD Anderson no matter where we work. And so the emphasis is gonna be on flexibility with a focus on outcomes. But ultimately 30% of our workforces is planned to be working remote full-time. So wow. I think it's going to be a completely different type of space Yeah. whenever we do go back onto quote-unquote campus, as we call it. So you mentioned nurses, doctors, there's this huge set, 22,000 people. How big is just the development piece? Yeah, great question. So from a development perspective and how we fit in, you know, to your point, um, of the 22,000 employees, the development office is 140 okay. and to note and growing. So okay. uh, we, we are we are ready to, to get moving fast uh, yeah. and, and raising even more money. Um, so, you know, what's really equally impressive from a development perspective is that, you know, we know that a lot of the tenure in the development world um, is maybe 18 months, right, for a lot of folks. And, and Anderson has been able to, even in the development office, have um, pretty significant tenure. You know, with that said, we went through some significant leadership change. We had a vice president that after 34 years 
you know, retired. And so we've got a new senior vice president that's come in. And, um, and so there was a, a real transition with our office. And that was about a week before the pandemic hit. Oh my so God. It, is, it has been kind of a double whammy in some wow. regard. And yet, needless to say, the pandemic and the co- corresponding work situation, you know, to some extent made a tough situation even more challenging. Yet, like the organization, truthfully, I've been inspired watching my colleagues both across the Department of Development as well as the institution on really the unrelenting focus on our patients and really even our fellow employees, um, safety, well-being, and, and just a resolve to move forward. You know, what I don't, I don't think will ever change at MD Anderson is why we do the work. So that's one of the, the nice things from a mission perspective. Have you seen donors yet? In person? So a lot of Zoom <laughs> haven't done the in-person per se yet. Um, and that's because we still uh, right now have a very, um, strict protocol around because our, our immunocompromised patient population, um, we've taken uh, really conservative and dramatic steps to keep effectively a moat um, mm-hmm. in the spirit of patient safety. And, and the numbers show we've done a remarkable job, the institution has. So, uh, and with that said, just this week, there's announcements where we're starting to kind of relax, and yet we're going to go into a, a more thoughtful, deliberate. Um, post-pandemic, if you will, model that'll still focus on patient safety. So that Which to say that- tell us about when we talk again in a month or yeah, maybe two months. Exactly, exactly. And so as you can imagine, working with the patient population, um, you know, things might it's vary different. for, a, right, for somebody that's in active treatment, you know, there may be certain types of protocols as opposed to, uh, you know, if you're going to visit a donor that, um, you know, is not in active treatment and you're meeting at a restaurant, then- you know, we might have a little more flexibility to do some of that is my sense, but to your yeah. point, TBD on exactly uh, what that's going to look like. Yeah. So tell us about your home office. I mean, right now, what I'm seeing is a beautiful background with the MD Anderson <laughs> logo, but now that you kind of know that the homework is here to stay, what have you created or changed at home to make that conducive for you? Oh, it's uh, funny to me. I don't know if it's as funny to the to you and maybe the listeners, but so my home office. Well, let's see. It started in my garage on cardboard boxes. No way. Yeah, I literally, it was cool. It was March, you know, so it's nice time in Houston and and a nice breeze, and I had a bunch of empty boxes, and and plus I was competing for real estate um, with my wife and uh, our kids. So anyway. But right now, if I were to turn off the Zoom background, the virtual background, um, you know, I moved around initially as I became the teacher, the IT support professional, the kennel operator, all while fighting my wife, who also works for MD Anderson, <laughs> and my children for bandwidth. Okay, so, you know, my partner, as I mentioned in life, and I have three amazing children, all under eight. We wow. uh, now have a new puppy and we ha- now have a new kitten like many others have done in the last you know, 16 months. And we've all been home for more than 12 months. So I am actually officing, air quotes, in our game room slash office slash workout slash toy slash kitten's favorite sunspot room. <laughs> and so, okay. you know, like you, like you highlighted, thank goodness for virtual backgrounds. Um, so once I moved from the garage, I actually was working on my children's uh, art desk. So imagine me squatting right in a little chair built for effectively a four-year-old. That was my workspace. 
and I think I was in denial. So about three months right. ago, it changes when you know it's here to stay, right? It changes when exactly. And, yeah. you know, fortunately I am, um, lucky to have such a smart life partner that she found a great sale on a stand-up desk. And so instead of buying one, we bought two. And so now I have a stand-up desk. I've got the two monitors. Anderson has been really flexible in providing us with the resources that we need. And mm -hmm. so I feel really good about my workspace now. You know, I've got the headset, the dual screens. So even though I'm in the same room with a lot of other children accoutrement, it's, uh, it's, it, it feels like an office and one that I really have embraced. And were those transitions from the garage to the playroom, did those impact your output? You know, I think it's a really good question. One of the things that- Because um, how could it not, right? I mean, that's, that's a significant challenge. You know, in the beginning, it definitely affected output or at least the mental kind of used to the status quo, right? Like, right. Now how do I do this? Right. And yet I think as we all kind of leaned into it, we figured it out. And I think the good news is, is that the institution was there behind us the whole way to also, as well as, you know, collectively leadership and all the employees to, to also lean into this, to kind of navigate it. You know, being in Houston, we've had a flood or two and contrary to some, you know, belief, it's actually a lovely city with uh, tons of people and a low cost of living. So, you know, if you want to move to Houston, give us a call and you might not actually have to move now if you want right. to work at MD Anderson. But, yeah. but I, I, I know, I've reflected upon during previous calamities, be it a storm or a freeze or a flood, often it was kind of like, oh my gosh, and all the people in Houston or the surrounding area were affected. But after about you know two weeks or so, the rest of the world moved on. And, and whereas this pandemic, it really affected all of us. And so I think because of that, that was actually a benefit that everybody from grandma to grandpa that you used to call to aunts and uncles to donors to coworkers, right? I mean, everybody was figuring out FaceTime and Zoom and whatnot. Yeah. So because of that, we all were able to take a giant leap forward. And so with productivity, uh, candidly, um, this has made, made me more efficient. You know, I, I think that in savings from driving the car, getting ready to quote unquote, go to work to even just simply driving meeting to meeting or walking on campus from meeting to meeting. You know, the good news is there's 20% more hours in the day to actually work. The bad news is, you know, is that transitioning to uh, kind of self-care when you're jumping from one meeting to the next meeting within, you know, a two minute switch from one Zoom to the next. So I think in a lot of ways it's been it's created more effective and efficient conversations. It's broadened the net from a donor perspective and engagement. Long-term, we'll see how the outcome, what the outcomes look like collectively right. uh, as opposed to in the short-term. How do you feel about being remote forward? I've really come to, to love the flexibility that the model provides. Well, especially um, with three young kids. Yeah. So, you know, and it's been nice, right? You get a little break, they run in and sure the disruption, it is a disruption. And yet to be able to be there to, to say, you know, when they come and say, daddy, look at what I drew, it's, you know, that's priceless. So, yeah. um, and yet at the same time to be able to kind of manage it so that we can call donors, talk with donors, and really we've been able to extend like our stewardship and our events, be it a tour of campus to videos that our faculty have done that we've been able to share with our donors to even 
having donors participate in events and lectures that they weren't other, you know, that were otherwise geographically bound has just been, I think, transformative. Okay, that was a lot to take in. Thank you for joining me on this journey. While there's a wide range in perspectives from our speakers, the one thing they all talked about was valuing having grace with their colleagues, leadership, and themselves. Please send in questions for our speakers. You can direct message me on Instagram at devdebrief, connect on LinkedIn, or email me at devdebrief at gmail.com. Part three is coming and we'll focus on upcoming challenges and goal setting for FY22. Until next time.